My name is Howard. I'm a compulsive reader. <laughs> I've been an African member in OA since uh, soon as 26 years in, uh, in March. I've been a training since 1987. And I'm a 100-pounder. Uh, in fact, yeah, I like to say God has removed and is storing in some undisclosed location <laughs> more than 150 pounds that, that will be returned to me if, if I start taking credit that it is good works in my life. You know, that's, uh, that, that, that's, that's what I believe, and I believe that's what believe is a good thing. Anyway, um, uh, my problem started when I was born. <laughs> it, it was a rainy, miserable night, and, and I know this because, oh, I'm sorry. My problem started when I was born. It, it, it was, yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, my problem started <laughs> when I was standing in the right place. My problem started when I was born in the late 1940s on a rainy, miserable night. The reason I know that it was a rainy, miserable night is I was constantly reminded of what a problem my birth was. You know, uh, I was, like I said, I was born in a hotel that wasn't a hotel on an island that isn't an island. And the island is, is Coney. <laughs> and the hotel, the building was the Half Moon Hotel, which, uh, which has a nefarious place in New York history that, that old people like John know about. <laughs> uh, and there was a movie made about it, and it starred uh, Peter Falk, and I forgot the name of the movie, but uh, anyway, that's not about, that's not about my story, that's that's a whole other thing. Anyway, um, my my father, through my childhood, said, "Oh yeah, I remember. Like on the birthday, I remember when you were born. It was a rainy, miserable night. I had to go down to that lousy hotel." And the message that I got is that I was a problem even before I came up with breath, and that I really wasn't wanted. You know, just this is the feeling I had almost every place I went. And I was, uh, I get said it was okay, but the people would really rather that it be someplace else. And for a child or an adult, that, that's not a pleasant feeling. You know, it um, makes you feel bad. And I was also taught some other things as a child that if you feel bad, eat something and you feel better. And I was taught that the basic four food groups were meat, potatoes, more meat, and ketchup. <laughs> you know, a lot of people their thing is you know flour and sugar. It's not it's not my thing. I mean, it's, mine is the four food groups that I just described. Um, so anyway, I went. I grew up obviously. Um, I'm not a child anymore. And I I kept gaining weight because I was trying to make myself feel better. And along the way, I picked up some other ways to, to distract myself and make myself feel better. I became a very heavy tobacco user, uh, a binge drinker, and a binge... I used to run again. This is the things I did trying to make myself feel better. Anyway, and they were all bad for me. But on the other hand, they were all legal. 
you know, just never, even though I am a child of the 60s, I, I, came, I was 18 years old in 1968, never did any drugs. Not, not, just never did because, you know, I'm a Republican. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll try to get um, Mrs. Ford, but Betty Ford, Republicans don't do drugs. <laughs> Anyway, I uh, I became very very un- very sick behind my old reading. I I reached almost 370. I, I always got sick 400 pounds, but it's not true. It's almost 300. It's actually 373 pounds. <laughs> my high weight. It probably wasn't my high weight because you guys intervened. You know, God knows what my high weight would have been. But the steps of AA and the fellowship of OA intervened in my life, and that's my high, that's the highest, that's as far to my close to my potential as I got. You know, God knows what my potential was, but uh, I I had sleep apnea, high blood pressure, I had rashes from things rubbing together that aren't supposed to rub together, and I had you know I was uh, a morbidly obese man. Profoundly morbidly obese, and with the attitudes that go with it, you know, and, and, the, and the abuse of nature, and, and all those negative things. Anyway, I read about Overeaters Anonymous in 1986 in the Los Angeles Times, and it was an interview um, with some people who were having success in dealing with the weight problem. It was a woman who was having success in Weight Watchers. And there was a guy who was having success in OA. And it was real cute. They had like boxing gloves on. But they, were, they were fighting. There was a picture. They were fighting the Battle of the Bulls. You know, it was, it was the holidays were coming up. And it was just, you know, a, a feature story. The guy was Richie K. And I'm sure a lot of you guys know who that is. He talks way down on my chair. He lives in the East now. Anyway, I said, gosh, I, I told my wife, I was married and I had... I had these two little kids running around the house that called me dad, you know. They were my They called me dad because I was their dad. And that's another thing that, that just scared the hell out of me, just the idea of being a father. Because I had such a bad dream as a father. I was afraid I was going to be maybe even a worse father than my father was. This, this was one of the things that was driving my, uh, my addiction. I never feared I had to deliver. And I read about OA, and I liked what I read. And I knew what 12-step meetings were like. I knew what the 12 steps were. Um, but I didn't know anything about OA. I, along years before that, I'd gone to a gambler's anonymous meeting um, when I, at one of my times when I was having problems with gambling. And uh, I liked it. By the way, how many people have never heard me speak? I hope it's a lot. Oh, so this is all fresh. I called, somebody gave me the phone number of Gamblers Anonymous on a little piece of paper, and I called them up, and they asked where I, asked me where I live, and I told them, and they sent someone to pick me up that evening. He took me out to eat, he took me to a meeting, it was somewhere in Colder City, I don't really remember where, and it was all guys. And they, it was just, it, it was great. I mean, it was like, they had the 12 steps up on the wall. I didn't like that. And, you know, I read that and I said, boy, that's a bunch of crap. 
And but the meeting was great. Uh, one thing they had great was going up. <laughs> and they took me out to eat again after the meeting. But aside from that, the um, you know, it was like these guys would get up and they'd tell their little stories and uh, and it was it was like theater. It was like little one act plays, one after the next. And, and I really enjoyed listening to this stuff. And uh, but I liked everything about the meeting except twelve things. <laughs> and I never went back, but I didn't forget about it. Um, now, when I read about OA, I knew that someone had to give me the secret phone number where they come and get you. I didn't know um, if they would take me out to eat or not. <laughs> but I knew that they had to come and get you. That's the way it was done. And, and I didn't have the secret phone number, and, and maybe it was in the article or you know the phone number. But anyway. I told my wife, you know, I think this thing is good for me, and maybe they got rid of some of those 12 steps, or maybe it's easier, or, or something, you know. Um, but, uh, uh, actually, for 9.45, oh, no, oh, great, great. Okay. Um, but if I ever get that secret phone number, I'm going to call them up, and I'm going to wait for them to come and get me. Now, Never appeared to see the phone number. And 1986 became 1987 in January, February. And, and my wife gave me the phone number of the Sapphire Valley interview. And I asked her, Who gave it to you? Where did you get it? And she said she got it out of the phone book. <laughs> and I was shocked. And it, just, it was amazing that somebody could be anonymous and in the phone book. <laughs> and, and it still quite doesn't make sense to me to be anonymous and in the phone book. But I called the number, I got a recording, this was before the internet, um, and I got a recording and started reading off where the meetings were. And it turned out there was one on Thursday night that I could get to. It was, it was you know, it was a real strange because it was 400 yards from where I lived. <laughs> you know, and you know, I lived in Northridge at that time. And I said, I'm going to go to that meeting, I told my wife, the Thursday meeting, as soon as I get back to New York. And uh, the reason, and when I started that sentence, I didn't even have travel plans. <laughs> <laughs> the travel plans came up mid-sentence. And what I wanted to do was, was go on my last binge. I wanted to go to Coney Island and have a binge. You know, I have pictures. You guys have pictures around here. Yeah, yeah, it's evidence, you know. And uh, one of those is on that binge in Coney Island. Anyway, oh, I'm sorry. I think it's funny. Um, and I did. I went, I went to New York I, I, to visit my grandfather, and uh, we lived in Brighton Beach, two subway stops from Coney Island. Um, and I, I went, I, I had my dinners, I came back, and I went to the meeting. And I went, to the, I went at 7.30. They said, new people come at 7.30. And there was just one guy there, and there was Mel. And there was no meeting, because he, he was the only one there. It turned out the meeting didn't actually start at 8. Uh, and there was no scale, there was no cash register, and there was no, you know, I, I didn't know what I expected, but it wasn't just one, one guy, and it was a little guy, too. Um, anyway, I sat and talked with Mel, and, and we developed a rapport. And he made me feel welcome. And he, he talked to me about the, the 12 steps, and, uh, you know, about the meeting that we, I think he said it's going to be sort of a cross 
between a Weight Watchers meeting and a tent revival and a freak show. <laughs> and that's a pretty good description. <laughs> and I really started, and it, was a good, it wasn't as big as this meeting. It was maybe 20 or 30 people. But somehow God said these people that they were the exact right people that I felt comfortable with. And I enjoyed them. And they made they shocked me. They said, to keep coming back. No, I haven't heard that a lot in my life. You know, people wanted me to come back from me. But I really believed them that they wanted me to come back. So I just, it was like an hour and a half, it was late in my day, that I felt comfortable. And I just felt comfortable. I didn't share at the meeting when they asked if there's newcomers. I knew I was supposed to say that my name is Howard and was compulsive overeater. But I wasn't going to do that. I just said, because that's step one. And if I could avoid step one, I could avoid the other 11. And, uh, so I just, I stood up and I said, my name is Howard and I'm here. You know, that's, that's as far as I would go. And it was enough, apparently, for a start. And I went every week to that meeting and I started abstaining. Um, I basically went on a diet, which was pretty much Three things a day, nothing in between. Just at that time, things have changed a lot, and only changed many times. But three things a day, and nothing in between, and exercising. Because I wanted to lose weight. People tell you the weight loss is like a side benefit; it's not important. Yeah. But believe me, when you're profoundly morbidly obese, the weight loss is important. You know. It's, uh, Anything that has the word morbidly. Anyway, I was abstaining, losing weight, going to the meeting, and that's it. And I got crazier than I've ever been in my entire life. Because one at a time, I'd given up all my things. The overeating was the last thing. And given them all up, and I was, had nothing. Nothing to change the way I felt. And a situation came up, and I, we're all adults here, and I'm going to talk about this frankly. But uh, uh, something happened that, that I should have seen happening, but I didn't. It turned into uh, violence, and it, uh, I wound up being arrested for assault. I taken to jail, and three sets of handcuffs, because, uh, not because I thought it was a police, because I was crazy, but wasn't. Stupid. Um, but um, they, my arms wouldn't go together behind me to be handcuffed. And the one policeman told the other one, to couple. And, and he said, his arms won't go together. And uh, he said, well, here, take mine and, and link them, which they did. And then when we got the car, I told him, I said, you know, this is still a little uncomfortable. Do you have any more handcuffing? <laughs> and they, they had a pair in the trunk. So with three, I was just fine. You know, it was, it was not, yeah, I wasn't being crucified. Um, anyway, I was taken to jail and given a cavity search. Now, it wasn't my teeth that were looking at me. You know, you could just imagine which cavities they were examining. And it was the most humiliating thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I was put into the jail cell with. Um, I think it was a drunk tank, although it was like there was like 10 beds around in this one room. 
Uh, luckily, there's just one other guy in there, a little Mexican boy. And he was more afraid of me than I was afraid of him. So it, it was okay. I, I didn't feel like the, the threat of violence, which you know happens a lot in jail. But I, I lay down there. I called my wife. I, I told her what happened. I asked her to please come and bail me out. She said she would, but uh, I should wait there for her. <laughs> and and that, that, that's when I hit bottom. That, that was it. Uh, I, I said to myself, Howard, everything you've ever done in your life has brought you to this point, and you're in jail, and at least you just looked up your ass. You know, something is wrong. Something, something needs to be changed. Anyway, I decided right there that. Um, 12 steps of recovery. Didn't, I didn't like them. I didn't want to do them. I didn't, I didn't like the people who talked about them. I had nothing to do with them. There was a lot of stuff in there that I didn't want to do. But I decided I had to do it. Maybe, maybe just prove that it doesn't work. You know, that, that, that was what my attitude was. Come to find out, I asked Mel, the first man I met, to be my sponsor. And had me come to his house and we read things and we prayed and, and we gave me questionnaires to fill out. A lot of that stuff was none of his business, but uh, you know, I, I answered it anyway. And I, I was as honest as I could be, and I, I did my best to do what Mel told me to do. And come to find out, you know, at the end of the process, that uh, I came out a different person. You know, I'm not, I'm not. I, I don't feel unwelcome when, when I show up in a place. I don't, um, you know, I'm just not as tense. I'm not as uptight. And, and I know there's problems in the world, but somehow they're not my fault. You know, I, I, I tend to realize that. Which is another thing that I was taught as a child, that the world is a terrible place and it's your fault. You know, this is, this is what I was here. I don't even know what was said, but somehow I figured that out. And... You know, the way this has been gone for a long time, like two decades, um, you know, I'm not the thinnest guy in the room, nor do I wish to be. I just, I just want to be in the standard size mind. That, that's all I want. And I know that I am because I can go into a regular store and I can find clothes that are too big for me. So that tells me I'm in the standard size mind. That's good enough. You know, um, you know, my wife and I are still married. Um, you know, it's, I like, I, we just passed an anniversary, and I said, you know, it's good to have about, about you know, ten good years. Uh, ten, ten out of thirty-three is not bad. You know, <laughs> that will make you an all-star in baseball. <laughs> and those two little kids that were running around the house, you know, it's twenty. Uh, 25 years later, uh, so almost 26. Obviously, they're not little kids anymore. And they've grown up. And somehow they, they don't have addiction, they don't have weight problems. You know, it's as if I was given a sack of crap at birth to carry through life that was given to my parents, given to them. But, you know, just something that's come down through the generation. And somehow I was able to put, put down a sack of crap and not pass it along to the next generation. And that, that, that is far and away the best gift that God has given me uh, in my, you know, in 
my recovery, my asking for his help and him providing the help. That's something I didn't expect, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that every day. And uh, I got a couple of minutes left, so I'll tell you guys that uh, I, I'm in a business that's very unusual for an over the years. Um, and I've been doing this uh, all my adult life since I had a full head of hair. Since my early 20s, I, ha- I have a vending machine business. And pretty much I'm a, I'm a junk food provider. <laughs> but like any good drug addict, I absolutely do not get high on my own supply. Like any good drug seller, I do not get high on my own supply. That's the rule I follow. And um, you know, I'll finish with this kind of stupid story. In my business, I visit um, places that they call halfway houses. I have machines there. You know, I sell them snacks. And these are drugs we have a serious addict. Everybody thinks of them You know, they're either on parole or on they're called drug treatment furlough. Or there's different programs there. And this, um, this guy says to me, as I was filling one of the snack machines, he says, Howard, he says, uh, he knows my name, because I tell everybody my name. You know, it's just, uh, uh, even my email is, uh, Howard be his name. <laughs> <laughs> I left at gmail.com. So. <laughs> um, you know, he said, I bet you eat a lot of that stuff. And I, I said, no, as a matter of fact, I don't eat any of it. And he said, how come? I said, well, I, it's easy for me to gain weight. And I used to be nearly 400 pounds, I told him. And he said, no way. He said, how did you lose all that weight? And the halfway house. The recovery is based on the 12 steps, so up on the wall and everything, you know. Um, and I said, I did exactly the same thing that you guys are doing in here. And he said, oh, you smoke crap. <laughs> and that's all I have. <laughs> Okay. I hope I have some answers. There's no sharing if it's me, and I'm the only one to share it. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us at this meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of over here in the whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If being recorded, Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. It's being recorded. Please read the question. Okay. Well, who would like to ask a question? Go ahead. Um, basically, yeah. Um, how do you feel with self-reflection? How do you feel with self-reflection? Yeah. Um, the question is, how do I, how do I stand up? Well, there's a lot of directors on this show. <laughs> How do I deal with self-judgment? Um, you know, along the way, I heard that, uh, um, you know, if I, if I have a judgment about myself, uh, it's like, how do you know? You know, what makes you look smart? I mean, 
you know, it's like I'm just, I'm imagining a huge thing of me. And I don't know. And it's probably none of my business, you know, how you think of me. Um, I, I come to the point where I think I'm okay, you know, and that's uh, not great, you know, riches and some, poorer than others, uh, better looking than some, not as good looking as others, uh, uh, having less than a hair than most everybody else. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of in the middle. That's what the 12 steps did for me. It made me realize that, that I'm not the best for the world. I'm just just a pebble on the beach, you know, and uh, what I think about myself or anything else is just not that important. And I hope that answers the question. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a little here, Howard, and say that he came from a Jewish background. Uh, and uh, so from that background, as a kid, through your spiritual evolution now, when you think it through the process of, of how you discovered your spirituality in the program and what it Okay. Um, I'll restate the question. Uh, how, do, how do you go from being uh, a fat New York Jewish person to, uh, <laughs> to being the faith that you are today? <laughs> you know, I, I met a guy in Poland once, and his name was Mendel, and he, he was a rabbi. And he had all the accoutrements of a rabbi. And he said to me, Howard, are you Jewish? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, um, I got that, Mendo. <laughs> and he said, which one of the first 10,000 clues kept you off? Um, anyway, that's, that's, a, that's not an answer to your question. <laughs> You know, I suppose it's just, uh, you know, they say the difference between Jews and Catholics is that um, Catholics go to special schools to learn how to feel guilty, and Jews come by a natural. <laughs> and again, just having worked through the 12 steps and having become, in my mind, not, not such a big deal, not, not that important, just like I said, it's a pebble on the, on the beach. Um, it's, it's just, I, I've, over, I've overcome the bad things about my, my upbringing. I realized, I learned the word truth. And, you know, like I said, I'm glad I didn't pass all that crap along. Um, but it, it's just a result of the, the, the 12 steps of AA, the fellowship of OA. Um, but uh, I was able to let go of, uh, of the bad, bad, the bad, not the worst. I mean, I, I didn't come from the worst stuff in me, but from the bad, bad program I got, I got as a child. And my doctor, I'll tell you, I was seeing the same doctor for, I don't know, five, eight years, or whatever, I don't know, ten years maybe. Time passes fast. But he had no idea about that. Obesity, obesity, because I, like I said, it's been 20 years, more than 20 years I've been essentially the same size. And uh, interestingly enough, people that I knew back then don't even remember. So, and it's not important that they remember, it's important that I remember. But um, I was getting to a point. Oh, he asked, you know, it came up, and my sleep after it came up, he asked me, how did I get? Related to the sleep apnea. 
And I told him I lost 150 pounds. And you'd expect him to ask, you know, how did you do it? Or how long did it take? But what he asked showed a lot of insight. He said, why did you gain all that weight? You know, that's the, that, that, that's the sort of profound insight. And um, my answer was simply bad programming as a child. And I overcame my bad programming. I learned that it was a bunch of crap. And I hope that answers the question. Yes. Um, how did you get over wanting to do the steps like seven steps? How did you surrender into the 12 steps? I don't understand the question. How did you arrive? I didn't want to do number one. Okay. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> how did you surrender into it? Well, it had to do with just where I was. That I was, like I said, I was. Oh, how did I get over not wanting to do the steps? I got over not wanting to do the steps because I was my life was just not going correctly. I was not going into the steps. You know, like like I said, I I was in jail and the policeman had just looked up my ass, and that's um, you know you don't get there by behaving well, you know, uh, and uh, I wanted to see. I wanted to see if, if it was true. You know, it's sort of obvious that, you know, million, million, two million, ten million, I don't know, alcoholics stop drinking and, and improve their lives with these 12 steps. So, you know, I, I just wanted to see what it would do. And I decided, even though I didn't want to, I didn't wait for I wanted to, I just did. And, um, and the result was that, uh, you know, here I am, I didn't mention this, one of those little kids that was running around in my house is, um, is now going to be a mother to, uh, to this later this year. And she, she called me up and she said that she had an ultrasound and she knows that it's my grandchild because it's bald and it looks like a space <laughs> <laughs> Can you share your um, least favorite step nine experience and your experience? Can I share my least favorite? Why would you ask me a question like that? My least favorite step nine experience and my most favorite step nine experience. My favorite is that you know the way I treat my family. You know, it's an ongoing one now. That, that I, I, I treat them much better than I would have not having gone through this, this process. You know, that's, that's my most favorite. My least favorite, I probably haven't done yet. And um, it's on the list. And it's uh, uh, I'm being recorded, so it involves some government agency. <laughs> and I will not say any more about that. Um, thank you. Hi, uh, what do you want to do when you maintain your spiritual fitness? You know, what do I do on a daily basis to maintain my spiritual fitness? I, I would like to I would like to read off the approved list of uh, Morning meditation, you know, uh, the older way, 
But I'd be lying. Um, you know, I really don't do I, I go to meetings. Um, you know, I, I use the phone a lot. I call a lot of people with talk. Try to make three phone calls a day. And, um, you know, prayer to me is, is almost like an informal event. And, um, it's just totally big over. You know, things that, that I can't control, I, I just try to turn them over to God and you know, communicate that. Um, okay, I hope I answered your question. You listen. Thank you, Mr. It really hasn't changed what I was brought up with. You know, quite simply, it's just the, the, the generic Judeo-Christian God. You know, that's, uh, I didn't really accept it as an important thing growing up, but in recovery, I've accepted it as an important thing in my life. There's nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. It's about a response. Have you, in your years in the program, ever been getting out sometimes taking big leaps of faith, like has making big changes in your life? And can you talk about yourself? Well, I suppose the biggest leap of faith that I took was deciding that I needed to do this hard stuff. It was a big deal, and I really didn't want to do it. I'm glad I did, but I, I, I didn't, didn't want to. Like I said, there's some, un, there's some amends that have not been made, uh, but down the list. And, uh, you know, at this moment, I'm not going to make them because I'm trying to get hard to yield. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to make it today, but right now, that's uh, okay. You and then you. Thank you, Howard. I thought, like in the big book, it says anger is the devious luxury of normal men. Do you not get angry anymore? And if you do, what do you do about it? Uh, anger is the devious luxury of, of normal men or not a normal man, but I do get angry when I try to get over it. You know, I try not to stay angry. And um, that's, that's important. I try not to, uh, to hold grudges. You know, it's just, uh, it's hard sometimes. But that's, that's the best I can do. Not getting angry. I get angry all the time. Every day I get angry at something. But I try to let go, so, you know, as quickly as I can. And that's the best I can do now. I would imagine, based upon what you do professionally, you've been presented with opportunities to 12-step people in your work. Uh, have you chosen to do that, not do that, so the barrier over the years, uh, about to hear about the way you see people perfectly clean around the venue? Well, the one, one comes to mind, again, it was in the same halfway house, and I, although I go to a number of them, but um, there was a guy in there that was maybe 700, 800 pounds. And, you know, uh, coming out of prison, and I, and I I tried to help him. Didn't work out, but I tried. I even I got some guys together. We had a meeting in the halfway house. Uh, you know, 
when you know weekly meetings or whatever. And he liked the meeting, he liked the attention, but he, and he liked the program, but he didn't take a fly to him. <laughs> you know, so that didn't go anywhere. Um, as far as interrupting somebody mid-person, that has not happened yet. <laughs> Thank you, Chair. Um, can you tell us what your plan looks like today and whether it's changed at all? Is that older or circumstance changed without? Yes, yes, it, it changed a lot. Uh, uh, like I said, usually three dinners a day with nothing in between. Now I eat more frequently smaller amounts. Um, I eat five or six times a day. Um, it's, um, what I eat is not under my control directly. Every morning, a box appears by my front door. It's packed by a power greater than myself. <laughs> my younger daughter, Leah, um, and she puts the food in there. And, you know, I told her what I want to eat, and, and she doesn't taste it and makes coffee too in the morning. And um, I, I eat what's in that box, and I abstain from what's not in that box. You know, simple as that. And it's like, Maybe three meals and three small snacks. You know, I, I discovered that in order to keep my metabolism up, three times a day doesn't work. You know, it's just uh, um, what I eat is like three meals and three snacks. But I, and I don't do it perfectly every day. You know, but more, most days I do. And um, I just eat what, what she provides to me. She is a power greater than myself. Yes, uh, uh, the question is um, what motivates me to go to meetings and have I ever not gone to meetings? And the answer of what motivates me to go to meetings is that I like it. You know, it's like if a newcomer would ask, how long do you have to go to these meetings? And the answer uh, that I, I think is a good answer is you have to go to a meeting until you want to go to the meeting. You know, and, and, and that's, what I, that's what happened to me. Although, if I go to the same meeting long enough, I find flaws in it, and I get angry at the meeting, and it's happened a number of times. Uh, my solution would be to start my own meeting in a secret location, <laughs> not tell anybody where it is, and, and do all the readings myself, and share everything myself, collect the seventh tradition and everything. And I could be a lifeline rep. But I haven't done that yet. I, I just, when I get angry, when I get tired of a meeting, get angry at the meeting, because there's a lot of bullshit. Always in the face. Some meetings more than others. And I, I just find another meeting. It takes a while to find the flaws. Um, has there ever been a time when I didn't go to meetings? The answer is not a recommendation. I'm not pleased to say it, but yes, I, I, I got so annoyed that I stopped going, and I'm not sure how long, but I, I mean, it was more than a year or so that I didn't go to a meeting around that time, but I somehow managed to stay. And when I came back to me, it felt good. You know, and uh, 